Well, this morning, I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you. I'm excited um, about where we're at in the life of our church and what God's doing in this place and, and what we're seeing take place in people's lives. I want to share with you on the topic of standing in the storm. Stand in the storm. We all face challenging circumstances in our lives. And it's easy to become overwhelmed in the face of a challenge. It's easy to see something face us and come against us and, and become overwhelmed by it. Many people lose their focus in the face of a storm. Many people fall apart in the face of a storm. Many people lose their priorities in the face of a storm. Many people question what they believed in the light when they're in the dark. It's very easy to be overcome and overwhelmed in a challenging situation. We get shaken. We get shaken. Do I have any friends in this room who know what it's like to be shaken and to be challenged and to question, can I withstand this? Do I have the strength to withstand this? And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, said to us, you know what? You are going to have trials in this life. You are going to face hardships. But you know what? I've overcome the world. Oh, there should be a bit more excitement than that. You are going to face... And you know what? A lot of things in life are uncertain. And perhaps the only certain thing about this life is that you're going to face challenges. But Jesus said, you'll face trouble in this world, but I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And I believe that God is calling his people to stand firm. All the heroes of the Bible, every single person that you and I read about and we're inspired about, why are we inspired? Because they faced some tough stuff and it didn't beat them. You think about it. You think about the plan of the enemy to take out Moses and the fact that that Pharaoh insisted every single child under the age of two was to be terminated because the devil had a plan to stop Moses before he even grew up. The devil has a plan to stop the dream of God on your life before it even is born, before it even reaches maturity. But guess what? The devil didn't succeed. Moses was put in a basket and spared. Guess what? The devil will not succeed in your life either. We think about the plan of the enemy to take Jesus out. Same plan. Every young male child under the age of two was to be terminated, except the devil didn't succeed. Every single story, story we read about, these mighty men and women of God face challenges from all sides from family, from enemies, in their health, in circumstances outside their control, supernatural forces that were designed to take them out, and guess what? Did not succeed. So don't ask yourself, why am I facing this? Why is this happening? Guess what? You're going to face these things. You're going to face it, but God is calling you to stand. God is calling you to face it and stand firm. To not question why me, but to realize by the grace of God, this too shall pass. And by the grace of God, I will stand firm. 
in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, it tells us to stand firm. It tells us to be strong and courageous, not to tremble, and not to have dread before whatever faces us. Why? Because God goes with us. He's not saying you won't have trials. He's not saying you won't get tired. But he's saying when it happens, don't lose heart because I'm with you. You need to be able to stand. The prophet Elijah knew what it was like to face a storm and to question whether he had the ability to withstand it. I have certainly had times in my life where I've questioned my own strength to withstand what I was facing. Elijah was this man of God in, an un, in, a, in a secular community, an ungodly regime, and he built a rapport and a reputation in that place because he had proven character and he had the evidence around his life. You're called to have the evidence of God's power around your life. You know, the story that you tell, is it bearing evidence? Is the gospel you're preaching bearing evidence? Because if it's not, you need to question what's going on in your life. And the kings hated him for it. They hated him, they mocked him, they tried to silence him, but they couldn't and they could not discredit him because of the evidence around his life. And so one particular situation, Elijah alone faces 150 prophets of the cult of Baal, which was the leading religion of that day, a statue that they worshipped, a statue that they sacrificed to, the god named Baal, And Elijah alone faces 150 of these um, cult priests and he beats them. He beats them. In this spectacular event, he proves that Baal is just a dead statue and that God is in fact alive and active and absolutely involved and caring about the welfare of that nation. And he proves in this spectacular show of events that God is alive and interested. And immediately after that, after this amazing victory that he has before the whole nation and proves God's real, the king's wife, Queen Jezebel, speaks out against him and he goes running for his life. Now here's a side point, ladies. Sometimes one crazy woman is more intimidating than 150 men. Not okay. (laughs) He goes running for his life. He has this huge victory. He has a victory and then someone speaks out against him and he goes running to hide. And it shows us our humanity, the highs and lows of life. And I definitely know what it's like to come down off a high in the most spectacular crash. It's the highs and lows of life. And I just want us to read together in 1 Kings 19. If we'll pick it up in verse 5, Jezebel's spoken out against him and he's gone running. And he lay down his he laid down and slept under the juniper tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and by his head there was a bread cake baked on coal and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. 
Then the angel of the Lord came again for a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too long for you without adequate sustenance. So he got up and ate and drank, and with the strength of the food, he traveled for 40 days and nights to Horeb, to Sinai, the mountain of God. Verse 9, There he came to a cave and spent the night in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, And he's saying to you today, What are you doing in here? Why are you hiding in a cave? And he answers the way most of us answer when we're tired. He throws a beautiful, well-decorated pity party. I've been zealous in passion for the Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts, proclaiming what is rightfully and uniquely his. For the sons of Israel, they've all abandoned you. They've broken your covenant. They've torn down your altars, killed your servants, your prophets with the sword. And only I am left and they seek to take away my life. Beautiful, beautiful pity party. But I want to tell you, God doesn't attend pity parties. You can send him an invitation. He won't come. He will very graciously decline that invitation because look at what he says. Get off your butt and stand on the mountain. He doesn't even entertain the complaint. He doesn't even entertain the sop story, true though it may be. God's not interested in pity. God's not interested in complaining because the language of heaven is not negativity and criticism and doubt and fear and defeat. The language of heaven is victory and faith and future and positivity and potential. That's the language of heaven. It may be difficult right now, but get up and move out. Get up and move out. Go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. I want to prophesy to you today, that wind that's swirling around you, God is not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but God was not in the fire. I want to prophesy over your situation. You may be standing in the wind, you may be standing in an earthquake, and there may be fire around you, but God is not the wind. He is not the earthquake. He is not the destruction. He is not the fire, but He calls you to stand in it anyway. It's powerful. And then the sound of a gentle blowing. And some translations say, a still, small voice. When Elijah heard the sound, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a still, small voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he responds with the same stop story. Oh, you didn't come last time. Invitation's still open. Let's try this a second time. So woe is me because I've been really awesome and everyone else has let me down 
and by the way, God, they've let you down as well, and I'm the only one left standing, and they want to kill me. God declines again, because he always will, and he says to him, go and return on your way, and he lays out this beautiful plan for Elijah for what's going to happen in the next season of his life. And the next season of his life includes Elisha, the young man who's going to take up the calling after Elijah. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about your situation. God is more interested in you standing firm, moving forward and passing the baton on. That's what God's interested in. I want to talk to you today about standing in the storm. He is not in the wind. He's not in the quakes. He's not in the fire. God may lead you into the storm, but he is not the storm. And if God has allowed you to come into it, he will also give you the grace to stand in it. It's because there's a purpose for it. He's preparing you. He's propelling you. He's strengthening you. He's developing you. He's teaching you to hold your ground to hold your ground. Isaiah 54, amazing chapter of scripture. If you want to be encouraged and strengthened in God, you need to go home this week and meditate on the chapter of Isaiah 54. But one of the passages in there tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That no words spoken against you will stand up in God's courtroom. It tells us that he's our vindicator. And you know what? That those weapons will come, but they won't have their desired intent. Those words may be spoken, but they won't hold up in God's court of law. And it encourages us. And so when you know, when you are confident that no matter what's coming against you will not prosper, then you are confident to stand your ground, to be in that swirling chaos that's going on around your life and know that you know that you know that this too will pass because God is not in this, but he's calling me to stand in this. He's calling me to stand in this. There is stillness in God. And so you can be in the raging storm and be still and hear his still small voice. And I think that is the most amazing victory that God can teach any one of us, is in the midst of chaos to be still and to hear his still, small voice, to be sure-footed. Further on, actually earlier on in Isaiah 54, it says, though the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will never be shaken. Do you have peace today? Do you have peace today? Or are you trusting more in your shaky circumstance than being sure-footed on the peace of God that will not fail you? The God of compassion who speaks to you and says, I will not leave you. You need to know that you are fighting a battle. You are fighting a battle, and too many Christians don't want to admit that. The fact that this is a fight for your life. This is a fight for your children. This is a fight for your finances. This is a fight for your health. This is a fight for every area in your life that Jesus purchased to have victory in. This is a fight. This is a fight. And Paul tells us 
in Ephesians when he's writing to the church in Ephesus and in, in Corinth, he tells us about the fight that we fight. And he tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. There are forces that are trying to bind you up, that are trying to take the victory away from you, that are trying to limit what God has in store for you and stop you from ever inheriting it. You wrestle not against the person in your workplace that's giving you a hard time, but the spirit that's using him as a front man. That person is not your enemy. You need to actually get a little bit of tenacity about you in the spirit realm and know that this is a fight. This is a fight. And in Ephesians, it tells us, when you have done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. When you've done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. And Paul goes on in that passage and tells us, to put on the full armor of God. Do you dress yourself in the armor of God every day? The helmet of salvation that will protect your mind and remind you of the joy that you have because you're saved and redeemed and born again. Do you put that on every single day? Do you put the belt of truth on that girds up your most inner parts, that holds everything together? Truth. Truth, not necessarily fact, truth. They're two different things. Do you put those shoes on, the shoes that make you ready to share the gospel and know the gospel, the good news? Do you put them on every day so that no matter where you are, you're ready? You're ready. Do you put on the breastplate of righteousness that guards your heart and righteousness that says, you know what, you're okay with God? You're okay with God because of what Jesus did. Do you put that on every day? Do you take up the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy? Or do you just stand there? Oh my gosh, I don't know if I believe. No, you need to take up the shield of faith because those darts are coming. Do you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, your only offensive weapon in your armory? The Word of God. God, do you clothe yourself in the supernatural armor? This is a supernatural fight. You need your armor on. You need your armor on. And the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly, he tells us in Corinthians. They're not physical. And this is the challenge. We can't always see them. We don't pick them up physically because they're not physical weapons. They're spiritual weapons. The weapons of your warfare are the Word of God. They're praise and worship. Hello? Hello? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship His holy name. We sung it this morning. I have to very often say, you know what? I am choosing to step into worship. I am choosing to activate the energy of praise in my life. I may not feel like it. I may have a hundred other things on my mind, but right now I'm silencing those things because I understand praise and worship is a weapon. It is a weapon. And if I'm going to overcome anything in my life, I need to take up the weapons. What about prayer? The weapon of prayer. 
He tells us about the armor of God. Put it all on and then with all prayer and petitions come to God. You need to pray. You need to activate your authority in your life. Are you praying? And you know what? Prayer is not just saying, oh my God, in a situation that isn't looking so great. That's not necessarily prayer. Prayer looks like this. Prayer is time in the presence of God, declaring the word of God, silencing all the other arguments and stepping into authority. The posture of prayer. We need to come back, come back to some of these foundational things. And good works. Good works is a weapon. If you're going through something, my dear friend, get out of the house and do something for someone else. Amen. Amen. If everything is going wrong, be something right for someone else. Rub that in the devil's face and see what he does with that. Because what he wants you to do is to set out the teacups and china for your little pity party. That's what he wants you to do. But if you turn your back on that, and get out the house and do something for someone else and be a blessing, you are fighting your battle. You are fighting the spiritual battle. The devil won't know what to do with you. He will not know what I dare you to apply yourself in these areas and see whether God comes through. I'll give you a money-back guarantee that he will. So just four quick things. Four quick things. And I'm going to Go through them really quickly. First thing, I don't know if you've ever had someone speak against you. In the midst of a great victory, a voice comes to challenge the very call of God on your life. And it's intimidating and it's unnerving and you run. I certainly know what that feels like to have someone speak out against your life. More often than not, you need to pull away like Elijah did. You need to withdraw. You need to come away. The enemy of faith is a busy life. Yeah. Write that down. Yeah. Come on now. The enemy of faith is a busy life. And I believe that all this stuff that we have going on in our lives is actually a ploy of the enemy to distract us and to kill faith. Did you know that today I um, consume five times as much information as my parents did when they were my age? Today, we consume more information in one day than anyone in the 15th century consumed in their whole life. We have a lot going on. We are constantly accessible. We're constantly plugged into something. We're constantly, as a result, distracted, confused. We don't know what we believe. We don't know who we are, what we're standing on. We don't know which way's up. And so we just believe whatever the next bit of information is that comes flying at us. Sometimes you just need to pull away. You need to pull away. 
no one needs to be accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't sleep, you get up in the morning to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. because you're not sleeping and you check your emails. Stop doing that. You don't have to update your Facebook status three times a day. And you don't need to know what everyone had for breakfast. You don't need to know whose child is being potty trained right now. Okay? You need to silence some of that unnecessary information. <laughs> sometimes you can feel like a vending machine. I sometimes feel like this, just being honest with you. People think that they can come up to you and poke in a code and expect you to deliver something. God forbid you spit out the wrong thing, they might just kick you. Hello. Hello. I'll kick you back. Or I'll just put, I'll just put out of order on the thing. <laughs> you need to make time to pull away from God. With God. Pull away with God. But there's a difference. There's a difference, and it's a subtle difference between running in fear or running to find. I do see a lot of Christians who get tired and get disillusioned, and they start to refuse God instead of refuel. I see a lot of Christians who stop everything instead of being still. There's a big difference, a big, big difference. There's people who hide and people who seek. We need to pull away to find. We need to pull away to refuel. We need to pull away to be still. What's really important, make time for that. Second thing is you need to understand that you're a physical being. I notice in this story that Elijah has run for his life. He's alone. He's exhausted. And the angel comes. And how does the angel help him out? He gives him food and a rest. Sometimes you don't need to over-spiritualize something. You just need to eat well and sleep. All the new mums right now saying, thank you, Jesus. Just a good meal and a rest. You need to do that sometimes. God didn't engage in the complaining and the negativity. God just met his physical needs. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just tired. That's it. That's it. But you know what? Write this down. Fatigue fuels faulty thinking. Fatigue fuels faulty thinking. When you're tired, oh my goodness, the things that you'll construct in your mind, the rubbish you'll believe, the things you'll let into your personal space are unbelievable. 
the things you will listen to and buy into when you're tired. And catch this, the devil waits till you're tired to slam you the most. Jesus himself, Jesus himself was tempted by the devil after 40 days of fasting. He was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Hello? God will lead you into difficult situations. It's not the difficult situation that you need to be questioning. It's your personal state and what you're standing on that you need to be sure about. Because he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, and then the devil came. Then the devil came and questioned his identity and his motives, spoke out against him, challenged him, tried to inspire him to do things that were outside the intention of God. He waited until Jesus was tired. And we're all vulnerable when we're tired. So when seasons of tiredness come, and they will come, they will come. My goal today is not that you'll be fresh and perky your whole life because that's actually not possible. Tiredness is a part of life. Challenge is a part of life. Opposition is a part of life. My goal this morning is that even though it's unavoidable, you will be smart enough and strong enough to recognize the attack and handle it. Exhaustion is not an excuse to snap. It's not. The Word tells us that when we're planted by the living water, the water of God's Word, we are fresh and flourishing and evergreen. And we are fruitful every season, in winter and spring and summer and autumn, which means when it's really good and it's really bad, you're still flourishing. And the thing is this, what is an evergreen? An evergreen is flexible. An evergreen does not snap, not brittle, not dry, because it's planted by living water, the Word of God, a solid foundation. What did Jesus do? He stood on the Word of God. When the devil came at him, he responded straight away with the Word of God. And you need to respond to your attacker with the Word of God. You need to say, no, no, this is what the Word of God says. When those lies come and those challenges come, you need to be able to stand on the Word of God and speak it out. I remember 2011... 2011, our senior pastor, Mark Ramsey, who oversees all of our City Point campuses, was told that he had cancer in his lungs and later he was told he had it in his throat as well. And um, I remember it clearly, the fact that it was 2011, because it was also the year that our third child, Judah, was born. Sam and I were still in the Carindale location at this time and we were running the kids' ministry, the youth ministry, and overseeing some of the Uh, Sunday night things that were going on and I just had a baby, my third child and I was on the preaching team and I remember at this time um, Pastor Mark obviously had to take a step back from preaching because of the treatment he was having it was literally burning his throat, he had no voice and so we all had to step it up, Sam was on the team that was driving him to and from his treatment, watching him fade week by week I was on the team that was now preaching four services every single weekend. And I had a newborn. I didn't know if I could do this myself. I didn't know if I could do this myself, but I knew I had to support my leader. This was the time to raise his arms when he could not raise his own. And so we did. We all stepped up. And and I remember he would come 
to church every single Sunday. And he would sit there and I would watch him week after week lose his hair, lose weight, pale in his complexion. I watched him fade before my very eyes as I tried in my own frailty and my sleepless nights with a newborn to bring the faith-filled Word of God. Pastor Mark never ever said the C word while he was going through his treatment, while he was going through his journey. He never spoke about it. Never put words to what he was going through. We put words to the wrong things. And he lives by this mantra that says, you don't speak out of the middle of your struggle, you speak out of your victory. So he never spoke about it, but I do remember the day that he did speak about it. And it was after his treatment had finished and he had gotten a positive report from the doctors and we were sitting in staff meeting and I just remember, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. He sat at the head of this big table and we were all there and he said, today I'm gonna tell you what it was like, what happened, what the journey was. And we sat there and he cried and we all cried and he talked for 45 minutes about the journey. And he said, he said, I was caught off guard because he, he mentioned me as a part of his journey. He said one Sunday morning, Carolina preached a message about the prophet's servant who was sent out in the middle of a drought to look for signs of rain. And he went seven times and came back and there was no signs of rain and the prophet kept sending him out. And he came back that last time and he said, you know what, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand and I held my hand up like this in a fist. And the point of my preach was when God gives you an inch, you take a mile. Because it might be the a cloud as small as the size of a man's hand, but it's still a cloud. And you need to take that to the bank and believe for rain. And you know what? Even if it's just the size of a man's hand, why don't you take a mile and call it torrential flooding? And Pastor Mark sat there that day and he said, when I couldn't speak because my voice was burnt out and I couldn't lift my head off the pillow, when I couldn't even read the Word of God because I was so deluded by what was going on in the treatment, all I did was held my hand up like this. And when Lee would walk into the room and ask me how I was going, I would do this. He stood on the Word of God. He stood on the Word of God. If you're going to stand, you need to stand on something solid. You need to stand on something solid. What are you standing on? The Word of God. This will not beat you. What you're facing today is not the end of you. This will not beat you. You may be tired, but you are well able to get through this. You are well able to get through this. You need to stand firm. James tells us to submit to the authority of God, the the Word of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to the Word of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The Apostle Peter tells us, resist the devil. Be firm in your faith against these attacks. And no, you're not the only one going through these things. It's a lie. Have you ever thought to yourself, no one understands? It's a lie from the pit of hell to isolate you and cut you from the pack. 
you're not the only one going through this. The grass is never greener anywhere else. Everyone's going through their stuff. Everyone faces challenges. Some of us just choose not to dwell on them and talk about them all the time. What are you standing on? Stand firm, resist the resistance. And finally, you need to hear. You need to hear. God is so eager to speak to us. It always amazes me. It always amazes me how willing he is to speak to me. When I just pull away, when I pull away and still myself and still the noise, he's right there. The presence of God, that peace, no matter what turmoil is swirling around me, it's right there. He is closer than your breath. But in the noise of life, you don't realize it. You, you need to understand he's speaking all the time. And he's desperate for you to hear. And he's calling you into that situation. He is. He's, he's calling you into it. And he's teaching you to stand. And he wants you to learn how to hear him in the midst of that circumstance. What is he saying to you today? What is he saying to you? I'd love for you to stand to your feet. I just want to do something really quickly this morning. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to consider your situation right now. And I want you to hear the voice of God saying to you, what are you doing in this cave? Why are you hiding in here? I didn't call you to sit in a dark cave. Come out. Come out and stand on the mountain. Come out. Be in the midst of the wind and the earthquake and the fire and know I'm not in that. Stand firmly in your place, girded up with truth. Stand firm. Hear me tell you that I have a plan for your life. A plan that involves the nations, the generations to come after you. You're not called to be hiding in a cave. Don't be afraid. Stop asking, why me? It's not the point. Trust me, stand firm. Move forward, fight the good fight. It's not going to be easy, but I am with you and I've overcome the world. This is not going to beat you. You're going to get through this. You're going to get through this and you're going to be strong at the other end. And I'm calling you on. I'm calling you through because I have a plan. I have a tomorrow for you and it doesn't look like today looks. Will you come out and stand firm? Stand on the solid word of God. Stand true and hear that voice that is calling you. That is calling you that still small voice that is desperate for you to hear it. Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray for every single situation represented in this room. Father, every voice that has come to speak against your sons and your daughters, 
Lord, every battle that is being fought. Father, those weapons that are coming, I thank you right now that they will fall dead to the ground in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you for an overcoming testimony in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you right now for victory in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for provision. I thank you for healing. I thank you for transformation. I thank you for reconciliation. I thank you today. I prophesy, Lord Jesus, revelation by the Spirit of God. Revelation by the Spirit of God. If you're relating this morning, I'd love for you just to raise your hand and receive from heaven. Come on, keep those hands raised right across the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Speak, we're listening. spiritual warrior so that you can withstand. Will you build yourself? Will you take up your weapons? Worship and thanksgiving. You want to interrupt anxiety and fear and worry? Just give thanks. Give thanks daily. Before I even get out of bed in the morning, I thank God, thank you, Jesus, for my family. I thank you, Lord God, for, for being awake 
and having another day. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I have food in my fridge, that I have people around me who I love. Father God, I thank you for every blessing that you've bestowed on this unworthy recipient. I thank you today. Before those things start flooding my mind that might overwhelm me, I start in thanksgiving. I thank you that you've provided such great blessings for me, God. I don't take it for granted. I am blessed. I am the head and not the tail. Father, I am victorious in you. Lord, I am filled with your spirit. My mind is alive in Christ. I think the thoughts of Christ. I'm led by the spirit of God. I see what you see. I hear what you hear. I speak what you speak. I thank you that I'm full with the presence of God and that I carry that into my day. Father, I thank you today that you're with me. I thank you that you've intended every moment of this day. Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am your child and that no weapon formed against me today will prosper, that I am victorious in you. We need to be able to interrupt that negativity with the thanksgiving and the word of God. Lord, I worship you because you are worthy above all other names. I worship you, Lord, because you are great. You are good. Father, I worship you because you existed before time itself. Father God, you hold everything in your hands. You are in charge. Lord, I worship you because you're mighty. I worship you because you are in all things at all times to all people, Lord Jesus. But I thank you and I worship you because you love me. You know me and you know everything about me and I worship you because I can't even understand you. If you, were, if you were big enough to be understood, you would be too small to worship. Father, because I worship you, I worship you because I don't understand everything about you. You are so great. The facets of your character are beyond my understanding, but you are good. You are good and I will spend my days trying to see every facet of God. I will spend my days drawing near, learning, understanding, capturing what I can, growing, seeing your mighty hand at work and I will not settle for less. I will not settle for less. Thank you, Jesus. We need to build ourselves. We need to build ourselves. Will you do that? Build yourself. Build yourself. Amen. Amen. We love you. Come on, let's praise Him. We thank you. Praise Him like you've already got victory over that circumstance. Praise Him. Come on. Come on. We praise You, Lord God, for victory in our health, for victory in our family, for victory in our finance, for victory in our relationships. We thank You, Lord God. We praise You, Lord Jesus. We come from a place of victory. We come from a place of victory. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, if you have, if you're here and you're visiting this morning, if you're visiting and you want to know more about God, you want to know more about who we are as a church, we are conscious of you being here with us. We are conscious of your questions. We're conscious of your, your wanting to know. And so we really, really pray that you'll come and engage with us and engage with the Spirit of God. And if you're being prompted to do that, 
please just approach anyone with a yes with a host tag on. Um, you can go to our yes desk at the back of the auditorium. Hang around, don't disappear, don't sneak out. Make eye contact with someone, accept a coffee. We'll offer you a coffee. And, um, and you know what, ask about Jesus, ask about victory, ask about the plan of God on your life. We'll pretend we have all the answers or maybe we'll just point you to Jesus and we might just pray together. But um, the truth is we're all the same. Most of us are like the rest of us and we do this together. We do this together in community, in support. Hey church, we love you so much. Love you so, so much. Make sure you come back tonight at 5 p.m. Tim Hughes, preaching. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we're going to go out praising God, praising like we already have victory over the circumstances. Amen. And we're going to spend time in the cafe afterwards. Love you heaps.